This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles today to Romans chapter 8. If you are new uh, today, what we've been doing throughout the month of August is walking through the 8th chapter of Romans, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And we've been just kind of walking verse by verse and looking at these amazing promises. We've been in a series called Life in the Spirit, and the chapter in the Bible that mentions the Holy Spirit more than any other is the 8th chapter of Romans. And we have come to verse 26 this morning, and I'm calling this message Promises you can count on. Let's see what they are. Romans chapter 8, and let's look beginning at verse 26. If you'll take your copy of God's Word and just follow along with me as I read. The Apostle Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I received word that one of our our members, Edna Ives, went home to be with Jesus just last night. And when we think about members of our church family going to be with the Lord, it's promises just like the ones that we're going to talk about today that make all the difference in the way that we look at that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing promises that we see in these verses. We pray that you would help us today to to lock in to what your Spirit is saying to us, that we might better know these promises, that we might trust in these promises and rejoice in these promises and go forth and share these promises of the gospel with others. Bless our time together right now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One rainy night in October of 2003, I had just preached a revival service at a church in Gloucester and I was on my way home from the the service, and I was listening to a baseball game on the radio. It was a game out of Chicago being played at Wrigley Field. It was game six of the National League Championship Series between the Cubs and the Marlins. And I'm not a Cubs fan, but I was pulling for the Cubs that night because they were just one victory away from purging a century of pain. They're fans that had all these losing seasons and terrible teams, and 
And they had a great team that year, and they had made the playoffs, and they were just one victory away from going to the World Series, where they had a very good chance to win. So I remember listening to the game that night on the radio in the car, and then watching it on TV when I got home. The Cubs had a commanding lead late in the game. They had their best pitcher on the mound, and then something terrible happened. There was a a foul ball that was hit along the left field line, and the Cubs left fielder, Moises Alou, drifted over and leaped into the, put his glove out into the first row of seats in an attempt to catch this foul ball, and there was a a young fan named Steve Bartman who was sitting in the first row, And, and Steve Bartman did what any one of us would have done. He just naturally reached up to try to catch the foul ball. We'll never know if Moises Alou would have caught that ball, uh, but Bartman unintentionally deflected the ball away from him. Uh, and, of course, that didn't lose the game for the Cubs. Um, every rational person knows that. Um, they, were, they still had a commanding lead at that point. Uh, they still had their best pitcher on the mound. But, but after that moment, everything went wrong. And the the pitcher blew up, and uh, they made a bunch of errors, and they ended up losing the game. And as things started going south for the Cubs, the uh, many of the people at Wrigley Field began to direct their wrath in the uh, towards Steve Bartman to the point that he had to be escorted out by police security. And he he issued a statement the next day to the press in which he said this. Steve Bartman said, I had my eyes glued on the approaching ball the entire time and was so caught up in the moment that I did not even see Moises Alou, much less that he might have had a play on the ball. Had I thought for one second that the ball was playable or had I seen Alou approaching, I would have done whatever I could to get out of the way. Steve Bartman said that he was caught up in the moment. It's easy for us to get caught up in the moment and miss the big picture sometimes. And, and we can do that when it comes to what God has done in our lives. And, and this is a passage today that really forces us to kind of step back and to see the big picture of what God is doing in our lives. In fact, what God has been doing from eternity past and what he's going to do in eternity future. This passage gives us a broad sweep, a majestic sweep, the the big picture of what God is doing. And it, it contains just some of the most precious promises. Promises that you can count on. What are they? First, first one is this. The Spirit of God is praying for us. The Spirit of God is praying for us. Uh, Verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So last week, we talked about the fact that as long as we're in this fallen world with fragile bodies, we're subject to all kinds of weaknesses. And one of our many limitations is that we don't always know what to pray. 
I mean, sometimes we face situations in life and, and we just don't even know what to pray. Sometimes we can be in situations in our life where we're in so much pain that we feel like we can't even verbalize the words to pray. Our spirit just aches. We don't know how to pray. Here's great news. When we go through times like that, uh, where the pain is that bad or where we just, we're confused and we can't really discern the will of God, the Bible says that the Spirit comes alongside and He intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And the Father knows the Spirit and, and hears the prayers of the Spirit on your behalf. Years ago, when our youngest daughter, Cassidy, was a toddler, we were down at Nags Head, and we were in one of those big stores. I'm not sure if it was Wings or Ben Franklin, one of the two. But it was a rainy day, you know, so people were packed into the stores, and it was so crowded. And little Cassidy just drifted away from us for just a few seconds before we knew what had happened. And suddenly, she looked up, and... Mom and Dad weren't there, <laughs> and she did what any toddler would begin to do. She, she, was, she was crying. Well, there must have been hundreds of people in that store at that moment, all of them talking and everything, but I want to tell you, I knew instantly the voice of my daughter. And, and the Bible is saying here that the Father knows the groanings of the Holy Spirit on your behalf, and here's even greater news. As the Spirit prays for you, verse 27 tells us that He is praying for you according to the perfect will of God, which we can't always discern ourselves, but the Spirit knows it. And He's interceding for us according to God's perfect will. Now, what, what kind of confidence should this give us in, in our prayer life? You know, Jesus says in John 14... Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So as we pray to the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Spirit, we are promised that God hears and answers our prayers. That should give us tremendous confidence to pray more, right? And to pray with more confidence. So the Spirit of God... Is praying for you. That's promise number one. Promise number two. The sovereignty of God is protecting us. The sovereignty of God is protecting us. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. What a precious promise this is. When you are going through painful times... You need to know this verse. You need to know it by heart and you need to cling to it with all your heart because it will sweeten your trials. Because you can know that ultimately, whatever you're going through, that, that God in, in, in His sovereignty is protecting you and weaving all things together for your good and for His glory. Let's kind of unpack verse 28 a little bit. I want us to see three things about this promise. Let's bear in mind three important aspects of the promise contained in verse 28. And the first is this. It is a promise that is for Christians. 
Okay, it is for those who love God. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It's for those who are called according to his purpose. So this promise is for people who have a genuine relationship with God. Second, this promise, uh, another aspect of the promise that we need to, to understand is that we must define good as God defines good. Now, let's look at it again. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. But how does God define our good? Does God define our good the way that the world defines good? Because the world says that um, good would be, you know, the good life. And they would define the good life as being ease, comfort, the absence of pain, the abundance of material things, that's the way the world defines the good life. But the issue is, how does God define our good? God defines our good according to what he's going to say in the very next verse. Because he says that God, his ultimate purpose in your life and in mine is that we be what? That we be conformed to the image of His Son. The good in our lives, according to God, is that we become more like Christ. And a lot of times, God uses trials in our lives to make us more like Christ. And that brings us to the third thing that we need to see about verse 28, and it's this. Not all that happens in our lives is good, obviously, but God causes all things to work together for good. Now, we see again, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Obviously, everything that happens is not good. Some things are downright evil. And God is not the author of evil. But in His sovereignty, God is able to take even bad things, or sometimes even evil things, things that were intended for evil, intended for our harm, and He has a deeper purpose that's going on, and He's going to bring good out of all of that. He's going to use all of that to further his good purpose in our lives. Now, a classic example of this in the Old Testament is Joseph. Here's Joseph, 17 years old. His own brothers sell him as a slave. He was innocent, completely innocent. They were jealous of him. They, they, they sell him into slavery and uh, in the providence of God. Joseph is picked up by some traders that are headed to Egypt. Um, there, all kinds of more bad things happen to Joseph. He's falsely accused of a, of a crime and so forth, thrown into prison. But through God's providence, Joseph ends up becoming Pharaoh's right-hand man, the ruler of Egypt. Joseph becomes like his chief administrator and and in that capacity 
Joseph's incredible administrative skill is used to save hundreds of thousands of people from starvation when a famine came to Egypt. Later on, Joseph's brothers, the same ones that sold him as a slave, came to him and they were terrified. What is Joseph going to do to us? Is he going to kill us? And, and notice what Joseph says to them in, in, in Genesis 45. Joseph says to his brothers, And now do not be distressed or angry, angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. I thought his brothers sold him as a slave. Joseph says, God sent me. <laughs> you meant one thing. God meant something else. You meant something evil. God meant, God meant something good. And his good purpose was going to prevail. Okay, so he says, God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And again, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Again, he says to them in Genesis 50, Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Now, that's a great example of what we're talking about, but the greatest example is Jesus himself. Because what could be more horrible and evil than the cross? The murder of the innocent Son of God. But yet, it was through that very event that our sin debt was paid. And so the, and so the people that put Jesus to death, they meant one thing. Something evil. But God had a deeper purpose a good purpose that was going on. And his good purpose was going to prevail. Peter, as he preaches in, in Acts on the day of Pentecost, says this, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The evil people who put Jesus to death that day, they thought it was their plan. God had a deeper plan that was going on. Okay? Jesus was delivered up according, for our sins according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Could evil men, the evil men who put Jesus to death, could they thwart God's purpose? No, no. little did they know they were only playing into God's purpose. God's good purpose. God's loving purpose. They could not thwart His purpose. Death itself could not thwart God's purpose. No, God has a good and unstoppable plan for our lives. And He's causing all things to work together to carry out that good plan. Is that a beautiful promise or what? So the Spirit of God is praying for you. The sovereignty of God is protecting you. Third, let's talk about the salvation God has purposed for us. 
the salvation God has purposed for us. Verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, these two verses are amazing because they take us all the way from eternity past with foreknowledge and predestination all the way into eternity future with glorification. Okay, the, the sweep here is just amazing. What I want us to do is sort of unpack verses 29 and 30 by looking at five words, five words that we see um, in these verses that really unpack the majesty of our salvation. The, the first word is foreknew. He says in verse 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The word foreknew here that means that in eternity past that God was looking upon you with love. That before you drew your first breath that he knew you and he loved you. As he says in, in Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb I knew you. Um, he, he knew you uh, before you were ever being formed in the womb, uh, he had set his love upon you. Now, now look, is this not, does this not give us assurance? If, if God has been looking upon us with love from before we were ever formed in the womb, what makes you think that God is going to let go of you now? He is not. Um, and the context here in Jeremiah is that God is getting ready to command Jeremiah to go out and carry out a very, very difficult assignment. He's going to go out and preach to people who are not going to be very receptive. He's going to go through all kinds of persecution, all kinds of trials. And God wants Jeremiah to understand that when you go through those things, you need to remember that nothing is catching me by surprise. That Listen, I knew you before you were even formed in the womb, okay, and, and loved you, and I'm not going to let go of you now. So the first word is that he foreknew us. Um, second word is that he predestined us. Again, in verse 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, the word predestined gets kind of a bad rap um, because we imagine all kinds of caricatures, unbiblical caricatures of what predestination is all about. You know, God sitting up on a cloud and, you know, saying, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, you know, and you're in and you're out. And, and even if you want to be in, you can't be in because you're not chosen. Okay, so we, we have all these preconceptions of, of what it's all about, um, caricatures of, of, of it. Um, and sometimes we throw out the baby with the bathwater. And that's not a good thing. Because predestination is a biblical word. Okay, predestination, you, you can't read far, especially in Paul's writings, without seeing this. Okay, so you see words like predestined and elect and chosen. 
Okay, these are good biblical words. And if you're a serious student of the Bible, you have to come to terms with this. Because you see all these passages that affirm God's sovereignty in, in choosing us. Now, what you also see in the Bible are scores of passages that talk about our responsibility for, to repent and trust in Christ. You see scores of passages that talk about not only our responsibility to choose Christ, but our accountability uh, for doing that. And so you see passages you know, like who's, Jesus says, whosoever will, uh, let them come. God doesn't desire um, that any should perish and so forth. And so in Scripture, what you see is both that the sovereignty of God is affirmed in a very robust way, and human responsibility is also affirmed in a very robust way. God chooses, and yet we're responsible to choose, and we're held accountable for our choices. Now, here's the deal. The biblical authors are not uncomfortable with this. They, they talk about both of these things all the time, sometimes within the same paragraph, often within the same sentence. It is just absolutely not a problem for them. Um, sometimes what we tend to do is that uh, we'll, we'll try to, we'll try to um, gather up the verses that sort of support our, our leaning, <laughs> you know, and we'll ignore, some, we'll ignore the ones that don't support our leaning. Whenever you find yourself doing that, stop. Just stop. Stop right there and say, you know what? I want to humble myself beneath God's Word. And I, I want to go wherever the truth of God's Word leads. Okay? So what you see in God's Word is, is an affirmation of both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. So, so what, are we, what are we to do with that? Um, I'll, I'll never forget uh, years ago, this is when I was in seminary, but I was trying to wrestle with this whole issue and I went up to the, the Way Christian Bookstore, which was managed by Linda Saunders and one of our members here so faithfully for so many years. But I got a little book at the Way called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by Dr. J.I. Packer. And it's only 125 pages long. I, I commend it to you. It's, it's great for dealing with this issue. Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Um, but what Dr. Packer talks about in that book, um, is that this whole issue is what he refers to as an antinomy. And Packer defines an antinomy this way, an apparent incompatibility between two apparent truths. Now, that word apparent is very important. He says it is an apparent incompatibility. In other words, to our finite minds, these two things are incompatible. God's sovereignty, our responsibility. To the infinite mind of God, this is not a problem. <laughs> this is not a problem at all. Um, and so what we have to understand is that there is mystery here. There's mystery. And we have to be humble enough to 
understand that we're not God and that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. And there is always going to be a certain amount of, of mystery about this doctrine. Um, and we need to accept that. Just accept the fact that we're, that we're not God. Um, and so, you know, when we, we need to affirm, when we, you get to passages like that talk about God choosing and God's sovereignty, don't try to dance around those. Don't try to, don't try to say, well, it, can't re- it doesn't really mean what it pretty clearly says. And when you get to passages that talk about human responsibility, God's desire for everyone to be saved, don't minimize that. Rejoice in that and don't try to say what well, can't really mean what it pretty clearly says. Um, these two things are, and I've used this analogy before, I think it's a, a, a good one. It's like, it's like two ropes coming down from a pulley on the ceiling, okay? Got these two ropes coming down, and so on one rope you've got all the text that talk about predestination, election, God choosing us, okay? On the other rope you've got all the passages that talk about human responsibility, uh, God's desire for all to be saved, you know, our, desire, our, our, our accountability for choosing Christ. So you've got these two ropes hanging down. What should you do in order to be biblical? Hold on to both ropes, Hold on to both ropes. Now, let me tell you, when you let go of either rope, then bad things happen. <laughs> bad things happen theologically. You, you, when you let go of either rope, what happens? You go down. Okay, so if you let, if you let go of the rope of God's sovereignty, then you kind of sink down uh, to, into Arminianism, which uh, you don't want to be there. If you let go of, if you let go of, uh, of human responsibility, you sink down into hyper-Calvinism, which is also not a good place theologically. And so what you want to do is, is to live with the tension that is there and understand there are things that we cannot figure out about this and focus on what God has called us to do, which is what? Preach the gospel to every person on earth. Friends, it is not our job to figure out how God uh, reconciles his sovereignty with human responsibility. That, that is not for us to even figure out. And the biblical authors do not try to do that. They are perfectly willing to talk about both. And we should do the same. Um, and we should focus on what he's called us to do, which is preach the gospel to every person, how God reconciles our responsibility with his sovereignty. That is God's business, ultimately. Our business is to win the world to Christ. Okay? So, predestined is the second word. Third word, word called. Called. Um, it says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Now, When the Bible talks about the fact that we're called, there is both an outward call and an inward call. The outward call is when we share the gospel with somebody and we invite them to trust in Christ. The inward call is when the Holy Spirit opens someone's heart to come to Jesus. Now, let's look at a great example of this in Acts 16. It's Lydia. 
Um, Paul goes down by the river in Philippi. He's sharing the gospel with people. One of them is a lady named Lydia. What happens? On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. What's that? Outward call. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond. What's that? Inward call. Which one are we responsible for? Outward call. Okay? That's all we can control. All we can control is the outward call. We can share the gospel with people. We can't save anybody. We can't open anybody's heart. The Holy Spirit has to do that. Now, when we understand that, that is incredibly liberating. Because the reason that a lot of Christians don't share the gospel with their friends is because they think that they're responsible for the inward call as well. No. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens hearts to respond. We, we can't do that. All we can do, is, as Bill Bright once said, is share Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Um, and so when you understand that, how liberating that is. You know, listen, sometimes we think that in order to witness, we've got to be super eloquent. You know, we've got to have this whole presentation uh, memorized and down pat and, and, and all of this. Because we think that, you know, oh, whether or not this person comes to Christ, it's, it's depending on me. It's, de- it's, it's, it's dependent upon my eloquence or my sharing the gospel right. Let me tell you something. If the Spirit of God is calling someone, your imperfect presentation of the gospel is not going to stop the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So be freed up. It's not all on you. Just share the gospel Share the good news and, um, and, and leave the rest to the Spirit. Um, so that's calling. Fourth, justified. Justified. It says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What does it mean to be justified? Well, justification is a legal term. It came from the, the legal world of the first century. And it meant to be declared not guilty, but righteous. Not guilty, but righteous. When a person trusts in the Savior, that is the verdict that God renders over their life. Dr. J.I. Packer says this, Justification is a judicial act of God pardoning and forgiving our sins, accepting us as righteous, and instating us as his sons and daughters. Our sins were reckoned to Christ so that he bore God's judgment on them. And in virtue of this, his righteousness is reckoned ours so that we are pardoned, accepted, and given a righteous person's status for his sake. He emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it. And he has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. What a Savior. What a Savior we have. We we saw in verse 1 of this chapter that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
we have been declared not guilty, but righteous in God's sight. Based on what? Based on our own righteousness? No. Based on the perfect righteousness of our Savior that has been credited to our account. And therefore we are forgiven. Free. We're not on trial anymore. The, the, The verdict has already been spoken over your life. You are now fully accepted by God. Fully accepted. Fully loved. And He accepts you based not on your performance, but based on the performance of your Savior on your behalf. The perfect righteousness of Jesus has been credited to your account. That's justification. And it is, it is marvelous. So justified. And then the fifth word is glorified. It says those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, what this is talking about is our future. This is the event that we talked about last week. When Christ comes again and we are raised with new bodies. Not the fragile bodies that we have now that are subject to disease and aging and everything else, okay? Not the fallen natures that we still have that are subject to sin. We are going to be raised one day with glorified bodies. Bodies without a fallen nature. No more sin. Bodies that are not fragile anymore. Not subject to cancer or Alzheimer's or any of the maladies that these fragile bodies that we have now are subject to. We are going to be glorified. We're going to have glorified bodies now. That's a future event. Wouldn't you expect Paul to say here in verse 30 that those whom he justified, he will one day glorify? Wouldn't that be the logical thing for him to say? Because glorification is in the future. But he doesn't say it that way. He says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. As if it's already an accomplished event. It's in the future, and yet he speaks about it as if it's already happened. Why does he do that? I'll tell you why. Because when God says that something is going to happen, even if it hasn't happened yet, it is a done deal. It's a done deal. Game over. (laughs) Done. It is as certain as if it had already happened. That's why he speaks about it that way. You know, your, your glorification, the fact that as a believer you are going to be raised one day with a glorified body, that, that is so certain that he speaks of it as if it is already an accomplished fact. It's a done deal. You can bank on it. You can count on it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing promises. We pray that you would help us to to rest in these promises, to rejoice in these promises, um, to bank on these these promises so that they change our our, our lives. Uh, Lord, Lord, we we talk about 
being purpose-driven, and, and we do want to be, be uh, driven by the, the purposes that you, that you give us in your word. But even before that, we want to be promise-driven. We want to we be driven by your promises. We want to live in the light of the promises of the gospel to us. And so, may the promise that the Spirit of God is praying for us change our prayer lives. May it infuse our prayers with, with confidence, knowing that as we pray in to the Father in the name of the Son and the, by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is interceding for us according to the perfect will of God. May we be given a great assurance that the sovereignty of God is protecting us, that, that when we go through painful trials, that we will know that when we can't trace your hand, we can trust your heart. Because you're causing all things to work together for our good and for your glory. And may the fact that you have that the salvation that we enjoy has been purposed for us. May we rejoice in the reality of our salvation all the way from eternity past to eternity future, knowing that you are not going to let go of us. We pray that you help us to live in that confidence and to share that good news with a world that desperately needs to hear it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you're here today with just questions about spiritual life, about the gospel, we are here for you. We would love to pray with you, counsel with you, minister to you in any way that we can. Don't leave here with burdens or questions on your heart uh, we're here for you we're going to have a time of invitation right now and you're welcome to come i'm going to be here after our service as well we would just love to minister and serve you in any way that we can if you're interested in membership in our church we would invite you to, to slip out as others stand and sing just slip out and come and we would love to uh, to welcome you uh, as you're working through a membership in our church just any way that we can serve you uh, today we're here for you let's stand together as we sing I hope you've been blessed by this message Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity as someone once said Jesus plus nothing equals everything and everything minus Jesus equals nothing have you trusted in Jesus as your savior if not why not now his arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as His beloved child, His very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father. And you are His child. You say, 
I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.